Well, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. Um, I want to welcome you to our services here. Uh, for those of you who are watching online, and of course those of you who are here with us, and we definitely want to extend a, a greeting to those who are visiting with us today. If you are visiting, we would ask that you uh, take a care card that is in the pew back in front of you and fill that information out so that we can know of your visit. We would love to contact you, especially if you have any questions uh, regarding our church, but we are certainly glad that you are here. And on the flip side of that care card is uh, a room for prayer requests. And if any of you have a prayer request that you would like to share with our staff, uh, please put that on there and give that to either me, Scott, or Jonathan uh, on your way out this morning, or you can put it in one of the boxes uh, that's in the foyer of our sanctuary. Uh, be praying for our guys. Uh, we have uh, around 30 or so that's at Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters for their men's retreat. Um, they should be coming home here shortly, so pray for safe travels, uh, that they get back here quickly and safely. Uh, just a few announcements that I want to share with you uh, this morning. Don't forget uh, that we will have a very important church conference on October the 3rd at 6 o'clock here in this room. And in addition to our regular written reports, we will hear a proposal from the personnel committee regarding our Hispanic ministry. Um, in the past few months, this ministry has really seen a lot of growth under the leadership of Luis Machureno, and the personnel committee would like to recommend the following. The Hispanic ministry becomes an official ministry completely under the umbrella of Pitts Baptist Church, and number two, that Luis Machurano becomes an employee of our church as a part-time Hispanic ministry pastor. Um, there's more information regarding this topic in your Friday Blast. And of course, the details will be shared at the meeting, so please make every effort to be here for that meeting on October the 3rd. Uh, also, the staff and the missions committee would like to, to welcome you to participate in my Loving My Neighbor, which is a local neighborhood missions outreach where you invite your immediate neighbors for a picnic-style meal, uh, either on the uh, weekend of October the 9th or the 16th. This event is designed to help you get to know your neighbors better and begin new friendships and to make further outreach in the future more comfortable and natural. Uh, there will be a special training uh, if you wish to participate in this on Wednesday, this Wednesday, September 29th at 8.05 in the core activity room. At this meeting, uh, packets will be handed out and further instructions will be giving, given. Just another opportunity for our church to be in our community in a very hands-on, tangible kind of way. Also, don't forget, coming up soon is our fall discipleship uh, training courses that begin on October the 3rd and run through November the 14th. Uh, classes uh, include Christ-centered parenting, gospel conversations on complex cultural issues. There'll be a finance class, Finance 101, for those who are late to the game, what now? Uh, uh, one for men, a man and his traps, and a ladies class, living with difficult people in your life. That was written by my wife. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was written by Connie Davis. <laughs> oh, you do get the my class. I better behave. Um, 
there are costs for these materials, uh, so uh, and sign up is necessary, and you can do so at the welcome desk here in the core. And so we look forward to you guys participating in our discipleship ministry classes. Uh, we want to give you a save the date for October the 27th. Uh, that is going to be uh, our fall festival, which is basically going to be a trunk or treat this year. And so just make sure that you put that on the calendar, 6.30 to, to 8 on that day. So, um, all right, for announcements, that's good. Uh, if, if you want this in print, uh, these are available today uh, in the Four Either Sanctuary. Uh, it's got basically everything I said in it, um, but you can pick this up on your way out. And this is going to be like a monthly publication. I know some of you have been asking for this, so here they are. Um, now we need to go uh, into a matter of business. We want to uh, vote on our deacons. Last week uh, we had these available for each person. And uh, in it gave a brief testimony of those who have been put forth as deacons. And if you're a member today, we want to vote on that. And so our deacons and ushers are going to come by and give you a deacon ballot. And on the deacon ballot, you see a list of names, and I hope and pray that you've been praying over who you feel like the Lord uh, would have you vote for. Now, notice, too, that you can vote up to, uh, for eight people. If you exceed eight people, say like nine, your ballot will have to be discounted, okay? You can vote for one, or you can vote for however many up to eight, okay? And then, and then in just a moment, we'll be finished with that. So if you are a member of our church, would you please stand so that our folks would know how to, to get your deacon ballot? And then after you've received your ballot, uh, you can may sit down and go ahead and fill that out. And when you're finished, pass those to the center uh, of the room. Okay? Let's take just a few moments to do that. Anybody else need a ballot? All right, when you're finished with those, pass those to the center. And our guys will come and collect those from you.
All right, I believe that's about everyone. Everybody have their ballots turned in. Anybody need a ballot turned in? If you do, lift up your hand. We'll have one of our guys come and get that from you. that's it. Um, let's give our attention to the Word of God for a moment. Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for a length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh, and refreshment to your bones. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can gather in a place like this this morning to study the very words that you would have us learn. God, I pray that we would seek wisdom and understanding from you as, it were, as if it were and is the greatest treasure that we could ever find. Father, I pray this morning that as we sing, our hearts would sing what is do your name. Father, you are worthy of our praise. God, I pray that as we worship you this morning, it would just be more than our words from our mind, but they would indeed be the meditations of our heart. Lord, we have so much to be grateful and thankful for. We ask, God, that you would use this time to bring honor and glory to your name. Father, we also pray for those who uh, are hurting and have lost loved ones. We ask, God, that your spirit, the Holy Spirit, would comfort them in a way that only he can. That they would know and feel and sense the presence of him ministering peace and comfort in their lives. So, Lord, I pray now that even as we sing and study your word, that the name of Jesus would be high and lifted up and exalted to where you would draw all people unto yourself. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. The power of the cross. Would you stand with me as we sing about our great Messiah, Jesus Christ. Join me in worship this morning. Let's sing together. He became sin, knew no sin, that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the cross. Love so amazing, love so
afraid forgotten let your wandering souls find rest at your heart's door he is knocking for you his precious blood was shed he is able he is able christ is able still to save come he saves poor and needy sing to him our song of praise come he ransomed Christ our Savior, for the glory of His name. In the stillness of the morning, in the quiet of the dawn, praise will rise as darkness scatters and our song goes on and on. He is a
be seated. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan and choir and musicians. That song makes me think of the men's retreat going on at Snowbird right now that uh, Pastor Knight made reference to. A uh, wonderful weekend up there. We had very powerful services. First time that I've been able to be a part of anything up there in their new facility. They've still got the old facility, but a massive new facility, probably three or four miles from their existing facility. And of course, obviously, I came back before the group and uh, pray for them as they'll be on the road uh, today. But the whole theme of the conference this weekend, based on that text out of 2 Timothy 4, where Paul says he's been poured out like a drink offering, he has finished his race, he's kept the faith. Now, what a great passage that is. And all of the services and breakout sessions been centered around that. For men to run their race and to finish well and whatever adjustments in your life you need to make in order uh, to finish well. Powerful conference. So again, pray for the men who are coming back. I saw church buses there from Kentucky and Georgia and Alabama, a big, big crowd up there. We were a part of a, just a huge group of men from the eastern United States. So again, pray for them. Uh, I do want to ask you to pray for Lori Myers uh, as she has lost her mom. Her mom's gone home to glory. And so pray for the uh, Myers family. And also I mentioned last week uh, Lisa Barfield who also uh, lost her dad. I'm thankful that in both of these cases uh, the families have the blessed assurance that their loved ones were in Christ, and so they're with him today, seeing by sight what we can only see by faith. I want to ask you this morning to find James chapter 3 in your copy of the scripture, and if you were a part of the Wednesday night group back at the beginning of this year, of course we looked at this passage, uh, but don't check out because this is a new message that I planned this week on this same text. So ju don't just assume you know what I'm going to say. But, you know, I can't think of a text that applies any better to what we are facing in our current day. The challenges that we face in our current day. And what we see going on in society around us. And so I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. I'll be reading James chapter 3. Beginning in verse 3. And talking this morning on the subject matter. Wisdom for, wisdom for walking in the last days. James says, who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Let's pray together. Father, unless your Holy Spirit anoints and empowers everything that is done today, it will be to no avail. So Father, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, I'm grateful that you bless your word. And your word says it will not return unto you void. Lord, help us as a body of believers to understand how we are to walk and live in this age. With the challenges and temptations around us. May we walk in wisdom, not the wisdom of the world but the wisdom of God. Lord, if we'll do that, we'll be that salt and light you've called us to be, and we'll be that sweet aroma of Christ, an aroma unto unto life that the gospel talks about. Lord, forgive us for where we have failed in this. And sometimes our lives look more like the world than like Jesus. Forgive us. Renew us that we would stand strong in the faith and bring glory to your name. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, as we get to our text this morning, we're... James is still in that context of talking about teachers and how there should not be many teachers among us knowing that they will receive the greater judgment. And he talks about how easy it is to sin with the tongue. Well, in this section, he's continuing that frame of reference to teachers, I believe, but really it applies to everybody. Whether it's your tongue or your life, we are to demonstrate that we are walking in the wisdom of God. You know, since the very first advent of Jesus Christ, we know that we have been in the last days. And Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, you must understand this, that in the last days, distressing times or perilous times will come. For people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, inhuman, implacable, slanderers, profligates, brutes, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Folks, that's the type of culture that you and I live in and minister in. So what do Christians need in days like this? 
Well, obviously, we need many things, but one thing we certainly need is we need God's wisdom. Now, before we get into the passage, I want to give you three basic principles that we need to understand as we get into this text. And I hope you'll write these down. First of all, God's wisdom and human knowledge are different. Wisdom and knowledge are different. Knowledge alone puffs up, as Paul says to the Corinthians. You can be the smartest person in the room and yet the dumbest at the same time. I think of an article in Field and Stream magazine that I heard about of a fellow, an American biologist that wanted to take a trip to Africa, and he did. And while there, he wanted to study some things on the African continent. And one of the, one of the experiences he wanted to have, he wanted to swim in a particular river. And the local said, don't you dare. And he said, why? They said, because the African crocodiles will eat you alive and you'll die. Well, he thought he could escape that, and so he went swimming in that river regardless. And the crocodiles ate him alive, and he died. His family was tempted to put on his tombstone, educated, but no sense. And sadly, that describes a lot of people, doesn't it? Knowledge is about accumulating facts. Wisdom has to do with what you do with those facts. Do they change the way you live? And really, the entire book of James has been speaking to some degree about walking in wisdom. Wisdom and how we view trials and tribulation. Wisdom as we minister to people in need. Wisdom for the teacher to control how he or she uses the gift of teaching wisdom with how we plan our lives for the next year and etc etc how do we live in wisdom is what James has been concerned with James is to the New Testament what the wisdom literature is to the Old Testament James is sort of the New Testament version, in a way, of the book of Proverbs. And again, he points out, wisdom is better than knowledge alone. How do you apply your knowledge in the best and the godliest of ways? And this really expresses the difference in James' day between the Greeks and the Jews. You see, the Greeks were concerned with knowledge. The Jews were concerned with wisdom. And the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1 that the world by its wisdom cannot know God. A second principle. We see that wisdom begins with God. As the book of Proverbs says, the beginning Uh, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom begins with a respect for God. We are to recognize that He is the creator. He is the rightful owner of everything. And so true life comes through knowing Him and loving Him and serving Him. The scripture says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. 
A third principle, wisdom is available. Even as James has said in James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and without finding fault. I think of Solomon in the Old Testament at least as far as how he began his reign. You'll recall God told Solomon to ask for anything and Solomon asked for wisdom. And this greatly pleased God. And then you'll remember that scenario that sort of solidified Solomon's reign as a reign of wisdom in the hearts and minds of the people. There were two women who came before him with one child. One woman had rolled over on her child and killed him in, in, in the night. And she was claiming that the child living was hers. And... and they were fighting about whose child it was. And you remember what Solomon said, bring a sword and cut the child in two and give half to both women. And the mother, the true mother of the child said, don't do that, don't kill the child, give him to this other woman. And Solomon said, take the child and give him to the woman who wants the child to live. She is his mother. But you know Solomon's life is also a testimony to the fact that we have to seek God's wisdom daily. Because unfortunately Solomon didn't continue to walk in that wisdom from above. But again remember the principle here. Wisdom is available from God if you ask for it. And in fact God tells us in the book of Proverbs that we are to make sure that we grab a hold, lay hold of his wisdom. Many of the wisdom psalms in the Old Testament. Tell us how we're going to gain this kind of wisdom. It's going to come through a diligent study of God's Word. As we read and study His Word and ingest His Word, we're being infused, we're being blessed, we're, we're being shown God's way of thinking and God's wisdom. So I want you to keep those three principles in mind as we go through this. But again, we're going to see how God defines wisdom. And we're going to see that in God's sight, wisdom has to do more with how you live your life than anything else and how you treat people. And do you reflect that you know God and, and the decisions you're making and how you treat people, you show that you are indeed a follower of Christ. Now look at how he begins in verse 13 by asking a question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness born of wisdom. James asked a question right off, no doubt, to, to motivate personal reflection. And I'm sure as he asked this question, maybe many of his listeners would have been tempted to raise their hands when he asked who is wise and understanding among you. And they'd say, I am. Count me into that group. Well, James then goes on to say, let him show by his good conduct. 
And that means how you respond to that person on your bumper today or how you deal with people in the workforce tomorrow is a reflection of whether or not you are truly wise or not. Those are chances to either reflect the world's system of knowledge or God's system of wisdom. And we're going to see how that plays out in this passage. First of all, I want you to make note of the vanity and destruction of the wisdom that is from below. He says in verses 14 and following, But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast. Do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will be disorder and wickedness of every kind. Let's see what this wisdom from below looks like in action. Focus again on verse 14 and what he begins saying there. The wisdom of the world exalts man... And tries to glorify man. And those who pursue this type of wisdom are usually trying to promote themselves. James mentions bitter envy and jealousy. This is where you push yourself up oftentimes by pushing somebody else down. Envy and jealousy are ugly twins in the Word of God. It's been said that envy occurs when we have empty hands and we long for what somebody else has. But today it's even worse. We have full hands and yet we still want more. We're jealous because others around us have things we don't have. We covet their homes. We covet their careers. We covet their position in life. We envy. Now the biblical response to that is that we are to learn to be content with what we have. But the envious person never is. He or she always wants more. Resents others if somebody else is ahead of them or out in front. And that is characteristic of the world's kind of wisdom. It says, I deserve more. I deserve more, I ought to have more, and I resent anybody else who, who has more than I have. Whatever they have, whatever is in their account, whatever is in their driveway, I want it for myself. And then there's selfish ambition. Some people have to win. And they will lie and cheat if they have to do so in order to win. They have to win. They have to be first. By any means. In fact, the end justifies the means. And so instead of loving your neighbor as yourself, you love only yourself and you look out for yourself. You know, it's the world's philosophy. Look out for number one. It also has the idea of manipulation in it. This is the world's wisdom. 
And James says, if this description fits you, don't you dare be arrogant. Don't be proud of it. Don't boast over your sin. Don't be false against the truth. In other words, don't hold up this kind of wisdom as some kind of virtue. It is not a virtue, not in God's sight. In reality, instead of being boastful or proud about it, you ought to be ashamed and you ought to be repentant of it. You ought to be grieved over it because it's sin in your life. Don't excuse it as simply being human. Sometimes even Christians will hide behind that phrase, well, that's just the way I am. You need to get over it. That's just the way I am. Have you ever heard that? Well, I'm sorry, but you need to realize that Jesus came to redeem you for just the way you are. And so instead, as Paul said to the Philippians in chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 3, God's answer to, to that kind of attitude, uh, Paul Sounding much like James would say, do nothing through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Well, let's see where it comes from next. Look at verse 15. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Anyone who walks according to the world's wisdom needs to stop and realize not only how ugly it can be in the way it acts, but they also need to see its origin. And hopefully that will serve as a wake-up call to them. James says here it is earthly in contrast from the wisdom coming down from above, the wisdom from God, the wisdom from below comes from fallen man. And as we'll see in a minute, it gets even worse than just coming from fallen man. But it's horizontal in its scope. It doesn't take its cue from God, but it takes its cue from the world system. And somebody walking in that kind of wisdom, what is it that they want to know? What's the question they want to know? Well, what's everybody else doing? What's everybody else doing? I'll just do what the crowd's doing. And you know what, folks? That's one of the most dangerous questions you could ask because the majority of people are not following God's wisdom. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. And Paul in Romans 12 says we're not to allow ourselves to be conformed to this world or squeezed into this world's mold. Chances are if a Christian is acting just like those around him, how they're acting, then the Christian is certainly not obeying God. And you know, that also shows the importance of a church family, doesn't it? The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 23 and following says, We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some, 
We are to realize that we are a distinct people. We come together to pray for one another, to encourage one another. And the writer of Hebrews says, as we gather together, we stir one another up to love and good deeds. You see, if you're living out there as a Lone Ranger Christian in isolation from everybody, it can be too easy in that kind of setting just to start going along with what everybody else is doing. And so we need to gather together and provoke one another stir one another up to love and good deeds and pray for one another we're to be like a little oasis that comes apart from the world Peter says in 1 Peter 2 you need to realize you're a chosen generation you are to be a holy nation peculiar people he says Chosen by God out of darkness to walk in light and sing praises of Him who's called you into the light. There's some examples in the Word of God when people tried to follow the world's vision. And you know what some of those examples are. Abraham and Sarah not trusting God to provide the child that God had promised them. They got tired of waiting. And so what they do? They took matters into their own hands. Sarah gives Abraham her handmaid, Hagar. And then Ishmael is born from that union. And look at all the mess still in the world in the Middle East today. Going, the, the descendants of Ishmael and Isaac continuing to be at bitter odds with one another. But they, they weren't willing to seek wisdom from above and wait on God. They took matters into their own hands. And then I also think of Lot as Lot looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And that looked good to him. So he wanted to go that direction. And even though he didn't get caught up in the, in the sinful activity there, because the New Testament says as he looked at that, he was grieved in his spirit everything that was going on. But yet out of that situation, he lost his wife. James goes on to say the wisdom from, from below is unspiritual. It is sensual. That means it, it, it's of the flesh. This wisdom looks to the flesh of man. It doesn't look to God. Unspiritual means that we try to do everything our way without asking God what His way may be. We seek after our own solutions. We may not even bring God into the equation at all. What do you do? Do you simply try to figure out on your own what to do? Do you do what everybody else does? Or do you stop and ask, God, what do you want me to do? But the wisdom from below gets even worse yet. Look at what James says next. It's demonic. Satan is behind the wisdom of the world. And we see Satan's activity even from Genesis 3. He didn't want Adam and Eve looking at God's truth. He wanted to distort everything and get them to view the world the way he wanted them to view the world. 
And folks, you can see very much what James is saying, that, that there is indeed a spiritual warfare going on in the world, and people's source of wisdom that they rely upon is very much a part of this spiritual warfare. Now what becomes, let's thirdly see here what becomes of this wisdom from below. Verse 16 says, For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. Think of that. Confusion. Disorder. You know what I think of? I think of the Tower of Babel. Remember that? And all of the confusion that God brought upon them because of what they were doing. They were simply trying to make a name for themselves. Look at all the confusion and disorder in the world today. Have you ever seen anything like it? It ought to be a testimony to us of where it comes from. Look at all the backbiting. The hatred. The jealousy. The envy. Look at all the division. The hate in the world. What's it a sign of? It is a sign of... That men are not following God and God's patterns for life. Even the church can be guilty. The church at Corinth in the scripture was an example. Paul said to them, I couldn't even write to you as to spiritual people. Because there's such confusion and rivalry and division among you. And he goes on to say, that's a sign in and of itself. That you're not spiritual, but you're carnal and fleshly. Because again, where this kind of wisdom from below is, there's going to be confusion and disorder in every wicked thing. He goes on to say that next. Every vile practice is going to be the result of this. Not only confusion and disorder, but every vile practice. You see the progression downhill that James is describing here? That word every or phrase every vile practice can also mean that such a way of living leads to worthless things. The world in its wisdom has gone after not only vile things but worthless things. We are putting our money and time and attention and energy into worthless things. That's what the wisdom from below brings about. Folks, as I read these verses right here, you know what it's like? I can't help but think it's like James is hiding in a corner somewhere today taking a snapshot, getting out a camera, his phone, and if he were alive today, and taking a snapshot of what's going on in society around us today. That's what he's just described here. It's like he's now gone from preaching to meddling and he's reading our mail. But again, that's where the wisdom of the world leads us. It leads to division, fighting, ungodliness. And this is exactly what happens when we reject God's truth. 
Paul says over in, in Romans chapter 1, in Romans chapter 1, he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wicked of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them ever since the creation of the world, His eternal power and divine nature. Invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things that he's made so that they are without excuse. For though they know God or knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And Paul goes on to say three times, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. And then in verse 26, he says, For this reason God gave them up to degrading passions. And then in verse 28, he says, Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. This is what happens when we reject the wisdom from above and choose instead the wisdom from below and we reject God's word folks this passage doesn't start out with the bad vices it starts with people refusing God that's where it starts and it ends up with every vile and wicked practice. It's not a pretty picture, is it? But again, it's a snapshot of modern day culture. It's a snapshot of culture right here in America. Years ago, we told God, you're not welcome anymore in our classrooms. We, we've told him, you're not welcome in our courts. You're not welcome in the marketplace or the public square. God, you don't even have any business deciding who I am as a person or who I, who I marry or in anything I do. God, you have nothing to do with any, anything of that nature. Get out of my life. You know what God's done? God's given people over. And to quote what somebody said one time, how's that working out for you? We've sown to the wind and we're reaping the whirlwind. This first half of this message this morning, this first kind of wisdom that he talks about that is earthly, sensual, demonic. This is what we see every day in our lives when we live our, leave our homes. Every day. This is what we see in the headlines. This is how we see people living. I'm glad James doesn't stop here. He moves on secondly to talk about the beauty and the blessing of wisdom that is from above. He says in verse 17, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. 
He talks first about where it comes from. Verse 17, from above. It's from above. This is wisdom from God. Just like he said in James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. God gives wisdom from above. And John uses a perfect participle here signifying that the wisdom from above is coming down from God. In other words, God doesn't give it to you just one time and say, Okay, you got your quota. I'm not giving you anything more. God continues to pour down His wisdom on those who seek it. It's like a steady river just flowing down. Can you imagine the kind of rain that Solomon could have had? Had he continued to walk in the wisdom that he sought at the beginning of his kingship? Can you imagine how wonderful it would have been? And aren't you glad there's a coming king? His wisdom will always continue. Amen? James moves on to talk about what it looks like in action there in verse 17. It's first of all pure. Wisdom from above is pure. It's honest. It's pure. It is holy. And that's the first thing in the list here. God is holy. God is pure. There's no hidden motive in God's wisdom. It's clean. It's unspotted from the world. It's refreshing. It's like everything else flows out of this attribute of God. Instead of all the vileness and filthiness and division and chaos we see in the world, we see God's purity, His wholesomeness, His goodness, His holiness. I don't know about you, but I've certainly noticed in my lifetime how much more vile and profane everything's getting. You've noticed that too, right? Connie and I were commenting, it's like you you can't watch a single series on TV anymore. Whether it's Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, any other series, network, you can't watch anything anymore. But what they don't make just everything so vile and profane. I mean, they work it into plots where they don't even need to work it into plots. It's like they make things vile and profane just to do it, to ram it in your face. Seems like nothing sacred anymore. But God's wisdom is pure. Against the backdrop of the filthy smog of today, God's purity is like a a pure, cool breeze at the beginning of each day. In the mountains this weekend, go out early in the morning about daybreak. All that cool, refreshing breeze. That's how God's wisdom from above is. Then it's peaceable, James says. Man's wisdom leads to division and envy and fighting and self-seeking. God's wisdom brings peace. When God's wisdom begins to prevail in a meeting, it's almost like a whole different climate comes into the room. Suddenly there's peace. There's love. There's joy. 
There's forgiveness. There's humility. People start treating one another differently and talking to one another differently. There's a whole new respect in the room. That's what God's wisdom brings. James says it's gentle. Here's a word that refers to strength under control. The word picture sometimes used of this word is a horse that has been broken. A wild horse, strong, but it's broken. None of the strength is gone. The horse is just as strength as it's strong as it's always been. But now it's a strength that is beneficial. Nobody wants to ride a wild horse or something. I've told you before, my first church out of seminary, first time as an adult, oh, sure, as a kid, I'd been put up on a horse or something, you know, at a circus or a fair. But just as far as going out and riding, my first church out of seminary in the country of southwest Virginia, a little one-armed senior adult man in our church, he always wore those dress hats like men back in the 30s and 40s and 50s wore. He, he was a jewel of a man. He really was. He wanted me to come and ride blackjack. <laughs> Went to this field, this beautiful, beautiful, picturesque field and a red barn. I mean, like something you'd see out of Norman Rockwell painting. He got blackjack out of the barn, put me on it. I'm riding out through the field. Man, that was nice. That's fun. Got way down to the other end near the road, turned blackjack around. And you would have thought that horse all of a sudden thought he was in the Kentucky Derby. And I don't care how much I tried to stop that horse, that horse wasn't stopping. I'm like, what in the world? I'm holding on for dear life. And that horse is running straight for that red barn. I mean, we're getting right up on that barn. You've seen these movies before where a horse, you know, is, is riding up towards a wall and all of a sudden stops and the rider flips over and crashes through the wall. It's like something like that was going to happen. Horse gets right up to that red barn, stops somehow or another. I held on. And William is just, he's over there, that little man, he's just laughing. He's laughing so hard, he's about rolling on the ground. He said, Blackjack's hungry. He said, I forgot, I hadn't fed it. He associates the barn with his feeding, and I hadn't fed him today. When he saw the barn, he was coming back to his food. I'm like, now you tell me. The word gentle means the strength of the animal is not gone, but now it's useful, it's productive. The harshness that is in, in, in man causes destruction. But when God gets a hold of a man, the strength that was once used to assert the self now is constructive and gentle. And then James says it's this kind of wisdom coming from God is, is willing to yield. It's reasonable. This is the only place in the New Testament this word or this phrase occurs. The, the words mean here that when a man is walking in God's wisdom, he'll have a teachable spirit. He'll be open to instruction. And when he's wrong, he'll admit that he's wrong. And he'll change. In other words, he's somebody you can reason with. I've known of Christians before bragging and saying, 
I'm not going to budge. Well, praise God if you're standing on a core doctrine. Don't budge. But if you're not, be reasonable. Be willing to yield. If your position is wrong, yield. Somebody once said, never argue with a fool because the bystanders may not know who's who. Then he goes on to say, full of mercy and good fruits. It's the ability to, to feel for somebody, to, to sympathize with them, forgive them, and then do good and help them. Again, it's the opposite of what we see in the world. Today, when somebody is down, there'll be a public pile on to push them down even further. Boy, aren't we seeing that in the cancel culture. And the illustration of last year, Drew Brees, when Drew Brees came out and said, I, I've always stand for the national anthem. You remember the pylon on Drew Brees? And I mean, it's like he and his wife could not come out and apologize enough. How about mercy, though? That's what God's wisdom brings. Mercy. Today's attitude is, if you're not on my side, I'm going to ground you under my foot into dust. But this wisdom from God is full of mercy and good fruit. How can I help you? Without partiality, James says, it actually means you don't waver. You're single-minded. Now, on the more obvious side, it means you treat everybody fairly. You don't treat people differently because of who they are or what they have. But on a more obscure level, it means unwavering. You don't take one position one day with one group of people and another position tomorrow with another audience. Whether people or principles, you're consistent. Then James says sincere and without hypocrisy. It literally means you're not a two-faced person in your conduct and speech and faith. You know, in ancient Greece, I've told you this before, a hypocrite was a good thing in early Greek play acting. The same character would play multiple parts and, and they would just have a mask on a stick that they would come out and they'd be different parts. They were a hypocrite. They were talented they were two-faced. They could play the part. But it gradually came to mean something obviously negative. Nobody wants to be around somebody who's two-faced, a hypocrite. One of Aesop's fables, remember the traveler out in the woods, stops in somebody's house, and, 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 and it's cold out, and the traveler, he's freezing, he's blowing on his hands, and, and the the man, the person who lives out in the woods, what are, you, what are you doing? I'm blowing on my hands and fingers to warm them up. He says, come into my home. I'll give you something warm. And he puts a boiling hot cup of soup in front of him. And the weary traveler takes his spoon and, and dips down into, into the hot soup and brings it up, blows on it. And, and the man says, what are you doing? He says, I'm trying to cool it down. The guy at the house says, get out of my house, leave right now. I cannot be friends with anybody where hot and cold blows out of the same mouth. 
The wisdom from above is sincere without hypocrisy. And finally, what becomes of it? Verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Worldly wisdom from below results in what? Confusion. Every evil and worthless thing. But God's wisdom brings peace and fruitfulness and mercy. And notice the repetition of peace and and fruitfulness here. When we exercise God's wisdom, the peace and fruitfulness that is sown is also what is reaped. It has a compounding effect to it. In other words, you, you give it back in spades. Just like the Bible says, you reap what you sow. The person who sows this wisdom from above, there's, there's a harvest of righteousness that you see. The wisdom from below or the wisdom from above that's from, from God. Honestly, be honest with yourself because God knows your heart. He knows my heart. Which wisdom reflects the person you are? Seriously. You out in the world, walking in the world's wisdom, become just like the world? Remember, folks, we're to be different. When we come together, we're a little oasis encouraging one another to be different. When we scatter, we go out in the community, salt and light, trying to bring glory and honor to God. We've got to be different. The wisdom we see it being expressed in 20 and 21, we've got to turn away from what we see because it's the wisdom from below. And there's lots of it that you see. It's time the church shows more of the wisdom from above. Would you bow with me, please? Perhaps today you need to You need to see you've been living your life out of man's wisdom. Because of that, conflict and division are probably very much a part of your life. You're self-serving. Ask God today to renew your heart and mind. And get in His Word. He uses His Word to instill His wisdom in you. Maybe today you're facing a situation that you need God's wisdom over. Ask Him. He gives to all liberally and without finding fault. Perhaps you need God's wisdom in your life as your Lord and Savior. The one who is wisdom personified perfectly, Jesus needs to be the Lord of your life. If that's the case, come to Him now and say, Lord, save me and live your life in and through me. Lord, speak to your people now as we're yielded and waiting upon you. God, help us to be a people in this age who walk. Walk and live and conduct ourselves wholly 
in your wisdom, the wisdom from above. It'll make all the difference in the world, in our homes, our marriages, our churches, our our neighborhood, our businesses, all of our relationships. They'll be changed if we will display the wisdom that is from above. We'll have an impact on people. We will be salt and light. God, I pray that that will be our testimony. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?